Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. I am your host, Chris Eaton, and I am a very, very tired host. It's been a very long two weeks. Uh, as I am recording this, we are two days out from San, the San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, I am completely beat. I am not going to lie. I am starting to feel my age. Uh, I'm going to be 40 next year, and this is the first time in a, ever that I've you know done this much traveling and come back and just feel completely wiped out. Um, yeah, aging isn't fun. I don't recommend it. So take care of yourselves, people. Take care of yourselves in the best way possible because things start to break down. But enough doom and gloom about uh, the inevitable march towards the end. Uh, so this episode is going to be our G-Fest panel and uh, our discussion with the creative team behind Godzilla, Monsters, and Protectors. Uh, I wanted to put something out while uh, Jessica recuperates from her whirlwind tour. So to give you guys an idea, the 4th of July weekend was Anime Expo. And if you've never been to Anime Expo, it is the size of Comic-Con out here in Los Angeles. And she worked all four days uh, around the clock. Then, a week later, we were on a plane for Chicago for G-Fest. And in that time, she was scrambling to get her Comic-Con panels uh, in line. Because, I don't know if you know this, there's a writer strike and a actor strike going on. And that threw Comic-Con... Uh, into uh, a, a spiral. One that I will say, uh, be just from this guy who's been going to San Diego since 1994, uh, kind of helped the show. But that's my personal opinion. Uh, I know a lot of people who go for all the Hollywood stuff, and this year, you know, this year felt a lot better and a lot more of the classic Comic Con of my youth. Without the, all the hustle and bustle of uh, the Hollywood machine there. And uh, you know what? That is for our next episode. Because uh, post-Comic-Con, Jessica always goes into a, uh, a self-imposed exile, if you will. And kind of cuts herself off from the rest of the world. Because she needs her Odin sleep. And uh, she is a... She's, she works herself to the bone, and I don't know if you know this about her, but she's mostly bone. So there's not <laughs> – it takes a lot out of her. So while she's recuperating, um, I am going to break down a few things. And just for clarity, the next episode, which we should have out maybe next week when she's back, we will completely cover G-Fest, parts of Anime Expo because there's some Ultraman stuff that went on there. And uh, San Diego Comic-Con in full because there was so much news that came out of all these things. And it, that is going to take up its own episode. That's probably going to be like a two-plus-hour episode. So strap in for that. But in the interim, uh, there is something that did happen at Comic-Con that only I, out of our duo, got to see. So Sunday was the Gamma Rebirth panel. Um, it was held towards the very end of the day on the last day of Comic-Con, which I always felt was a weird time and place for that. But just from personal speculation, it might have been a, a last-second edition. I'm not sure. I can't tell you that for a fact. But to put something like that uh, pretty much that far into the day of Sunday, that's, um, well, that tells me that, uh, you know, this this might have been a late edition. But that's neither here nor there. So, for us, we had the opportunity to interview the creative team behind uh, Gamma Rebirth. Unfortunately, there was no audio recording allowed, so you will not be able to hear that. We will have a transcribed version that up on our website. I know we don't post a lot of um, written content on our site, but uh, for this, we will be posting that. So uh, watch out for that. But um, 
I digress. So Jessica had to cover the the um, interview, and then she had another interview immediately after that that she had to go cover. So it was left to me to go cover the panel. So I was the only one out of out of the two of us that actually got to see the panel and got to see what was shown at the panel. Now, if you've been paying attention to our social media, and I know a lot of you have because we've had a delightful jump in the last two weeks, I want to thank you all for uh, for joining us. Hopefully, if this is your first episode you're listening to, we rope you in, and you'll be, become a long-time listener. But uh, that said, I got to see 10 minutes of Gamma Rebirth. So this was um, something that the panel dropped on us. They didn't announce it ahead of time, but it is part and parcel of the Comic-Con experience, if you will. There's a reason why, you know, Comic-Con is that whole, you know, it, it is the, the, the mecca of all these shows. Like people have, other, other shows have tried. I know New York has tried. I know that there's other shows like Phoenix and stuff they've tried, but no one does it like Comic-Con. And part of the big appeal of some of these panels, especially if you've gone in the past and you've excuse me, been to Hall H, you know when you go, you're going to see something. You're going to see something special. And uh, a lot of people line up wait hours because they'll be the first to see some particular piece of footage that is, you know, months, if not almost a year away from the rest of the world seeing it. This, however, we don't have to wait too long, as uh, I'll get into in a minute. But uh, I'll say this about the panel. This was the most brass tacks, no-nonsense panel I have ever been to in my nearly 30 years of going to the show. Um, it pretty much started, started at 3. Uh, the moderator came out, introduced uh, everyone to Gamera, and kind of went through the history real quick and then dropped on us the uh, exclusive screening of what they called the first episode. The thing is, it was essentially like a digest version of the first episode. And what I'm assuming is the first half of the first episode. Um, the the information given, it, we they didn't tell us exactly how long the new episodes are going to be. I'm assuming they're going to be about 30 minutes apiece. Uh, it might be longer. But uh, we were given the gist before the um, the footage was shown. So Gamma Rebirth takes place in 1989. And it revolves around a group of kids who are witnessing monsters rising out of the depths of the earth. And our gigantic turtle savior taking them on. Um, the way the show is described is a giant monster wrestling match. And, um, well, the trailer that hopefully you have all seen by now kind of delivers on that. Now, the footage shown, we were given the no photography, no recording. This was strictly for those in the room. So I don't have anything to show you. And to be fair, you got about a month and some change before this is actually shown, but I wanted to talk about it for a minute because it is definitely worth a, a quick conversation. So the actual footage opens with a, um, a cavern being discovered. I believe it was in Guam or the Philippines, I believe, but I think it was Guam. Uh, a lot of things moved fast. It was kind of hard. to. I, I, there was no way to take notes or anything like that. And a, um, it looks like a group of researchers, soldiers, I'm not sure, but men in hazmat suits are um, descending down into this very large uh, open cavern uh, because there are um, reports of like something down there. So as the men are exploring, you start hearing screeching in the background and the camera focuses on this pylon, this uh, stalagmite, if you will, that has what looks like a clutch of eggs on it. And you hear more screaming in the background, and you hear the screams of men as something's attacking them. And the camera pans back around, and we see the eggs hatch. And what comes out of them? A 
baby gausses. And these things, these little critters are gnarly. Um, the best way I could describe them is they are very much akin to the designs of the gauss from that Gamera proof of concept trailer that was shown back in 2015. Real, real gnarly, real deformed. There's not like a sleekness to it. It's they got they're bumpy, they're um, they're malformed, um, but they still retain that classic gauss look. And you hear uh, the familiar sound of what sounds like a a beam of sorts. And you see an arm drop into screen as uh, these baby gals attack these uh, men in hazmat suits that we uh, we were uh, following. We then smash cut to Tokyo. And a group of F-14s are uh, descending on the city. And we find out that the a bunch of these gals have hatched and are essentially attacking in flocks. You've seen and heard this before, especially if you've... Uh, been following Gamera long enough. So the kids in question that we were told about, our, our main characters, are watching from a rooftop as these Gauss are pretty much just laying siege to the city. And they are of all different shapes and sizes. They are little tiny bird ones. There are some, you know, dog-sized ones. And there are ones that are quite big they're they're bigger than they're about the size of cars if not bigger and they are doing damage and the thing that i was appreciating was the fact that gamma is known for its violence and rebirth looks like it is leaning heavily into that like the monster violence because we actually get to see gauss eating people there's one shot of a gauss just biting down on a dude and swallowing him whole like a um Kind of, kind of like a pelican swallowing a fish. And the kids are essentially figuring out what to do with themselves as they're watching these fighter jets completely just get hammered by, uh, by a flock of these things. The, uh, the missiles aren't doing anything, and there's, some of them are so small that the planes have no effect on them. So uh, the kids start to make a break for it once the gals start you know, attacking the rooftop they're on they make their way down to the streets and they are rushing through the carnage that is happening um as we see more people just getting mutilated by, by gals it's not bloody but it is it, it is in a horror vibe like we are again we get to see these gals they are they are meat eaters and they are feasting on people they're cutting arms off left and right but we don't see how just yet but we just hear that familiar sound so <clears throat> Two gals, uh, about the size of dogs, chase uh, the kids into this arcade where uh, they try to hide. And we get kind of what, what I would call the Jurassic Park moment, like with the two velociraptors chasing Lex and, um, and Tim around in the kitchen. And uh, the arcades go off and they alert the two gals to the kids, which one fires this projectile weapon out of its mouth and at first i thought oh that's their sonic beam but no 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 it's not that there's there's a new wrinkle to these gauss they it looks like now again i've only seen 10 minutes so there could be a change but it looks like they don't have the high frequency beam that they have in you know all their movie appearances instead they have these what looks like these razor tongues um, think of like Baragon. Baragon's got the big tongue, but these things look like serrated blades. They're gray. And one gal shoots one at a kid. It misses him and it hits like an electrical outlet. Or, yeah, electric, like, like, a, like a transformer box. <coughs> Excuse me. And completely shocks the crap out of, that, out of it. Which, um, that's where I took notes. I'm like, oh, okay. So they're adding some new new wrinkles to all this meanwhile we cut to um a military base where the uh the command center where the f-14s were sent from and we are told that something new is approaching the city and it's off, it's coming off the uh the uh off tokyo bay i believe 
and as the kids are still, you know, trying to outrun these gals, you hear this m- massive whoosh come over um, the building, and a shadow uh, uh, moves over it. The gals pay no attention. The kids kind of notice something's up, and they start running. But all of a sudden, there's a rush of steam and a cloud that comes right into the uh, to the arcade that just comes with a gigantic blast and knocks everything out, crushing the two smaller gals between like arcade machines. The kids survive. Uh, they go outside uh, to see what is all the commotion. And as they look up, who is there? None other than our t- than our hero, Gamera himself, who raises his uh, his head up, his giant arms, and lets out a roar. And <clears throat> one of the kids mentions a giant turtle. And smash cut to the end. So that is what we were shown. Um, so first things first, as my buddy nodded, oh, so in this world, there are turtles. Because as Shusuke Kanenko once said in his version of Gamera, there are no such thing as turtles. That's why no one ever points out that Gamera is a big turtle. But here, Gamera is a big turtle. And um, it it was pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. I know a lot of people are not high on the animation. Look, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the biggest fan of this new era of CG, you know, cel-shaded animation. It just feels uh, lazy, if you will. But I'll give credit where credit's due. The Gauss and Gamera all look pretty damn good. The human models look a lot better than that what that first trailer offered. Um, it does look like this show is on a, a bit of a budget. And from the trailer we were shown later in the panel that I'm pretty sure you've all seen now... Um, it appears that the majority of the budget went into the fight scenes, of which I'm completely fine with. Um, the mon, you know, camera and the gals moving around, they looked great. There was maybe one or two dodgy moments where I'm like, ooh, that's the render on that's not great. But beyond that, like it felt like camera. It felt like the tone felt like a perfect balance of Kanenko's films that kind of like kind of dark and gritty but at the same time kind of balancing some of the tones of Gamera the Brave which uh, in of itself was trying to kind of combine the show and Heisei tones into one film and you know upon you know, reflection when I rewatched that that movie last year I gave it a you know I, I, I realized this is a far better movie than we gave it credit for and uh, I have a feeling this is what, you know, that tone, kind of the Brave, is aiming for, or at least the, I'm sorry, Rebirth is aiming for somewhere in between the Kanenko films and Gamera the Brave. Um, the trailer does show a lot of monster fights and a lot of uh, violence, so um, they are not shying away from the excessive uh, gratuitous monster uh dismemberings and everything so you know we see Gamera biting into like Giron's neck uh Vera's thrown around and this is the thing that CG can offer that the suits really couldn't do is that we can see a much more physical much more violent uh kaiju fight and it's just the limitations of, of the suits you know again I will always love my suits but every once in a while you know you you know the the budget or the the format does offer um, different advantages, and this is what the animation you know form seems to have given us. So, I'm I, upon seeing it, I'm actually quite hyped now. Look, better some gamma than no gamma, and uh, my buddy that I was with who enjoys these things, he's a big anime guy himself. And when I, uh, when I kind of questioned him afterwards, I'm like, what, what did you think? He's like, you know, that first trailer didn't really sell me. Again, he's not a big fan of, like, that Knights of Sidonia look. But he did say, he's like, it does look a lot better than um, 
than what that first trailer offered. So either more render, more time was given to actually finish rendering, because again, you know, sometimes there we get to see shots that aren't they're just finished enough that you can show people. So, and even again, I don't know how how if if the animation's even done. Sometimes these things are right up to the last minute, so things could still be being worked on. But that said, the first, or at least the 10 minutes that we saw, did sell me on this Gamma Rebirth project. And um, we will be covering it in full when it does air September 7th on Netflix. That was one of the big things that they gave us. But we'll go deeper into the actual panel next week, along with the swarm of news, including Minus Zero, Justice League, all the other things that came out. So tune in next week for that. Now, I'm going to turn it over to past Chris and Jessica uh, from the fabled halls of G-Fest in Chicago, Illinois, as uh, we talk with the creative team behind Godzilla, Monsters, and Protectors. Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming. It is 10 a.m. on a Saturday here at G-Fest. How are you guys doing? Good. Of all the panels you chose and the lines you could have waited in, you guys chose this panel. So thank you so much for coming. You have put for, you have put back spending money for another hour. <laughs> think of it that way. I've already finished our shopping. Yeah. Shopping. <laughs> And so, my name is Jessica Sang, and my co-host is Chris Eaton at the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. Howdy, everyone. Hi. And this is uh, IDW's Godzilla series for all ages. We have the writer who flew in today just for you guys. Eric Burnham. And he brought goodies for everyone, comics for everybody that he will sign and you can give out couple minutes towards the end. We do have another panel afterwards, so he's always free to be outside to sign and talk with you guys. And also zooming in is Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. I have my coffee, so I'm ready to uh, step on some cities. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll start with that. That's a good way to start. Yeah. <laughs> You're zooming in from Canada, Canada? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm only two hours behind you, so it's 8 a.m. And uh, yeah, I'm close to Vancouver, so okay. I guess that's uh, kind of the biggest landmark I can think of that people recognize. And so he's the artist on this series with Eric, and we are actually going to start off by showing some images that maybe we can describe in vivid detail so Dan can feel like he sees them. So I'm going to shrink you very quickly. All right. They come in no particular order. It's the Godzilla monsters and protectors, and it's got ready, set, fight. It's got King okay. Ghidorah, yeah. Godzilla on yeah. it. That was the fifth issue, I believe? Yes. Oh, the, the last one? Yeah. 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 Going for a little bit of a, kind of a video game vibe with that one. It's uh, kept the King of Street Fighter with that. So, uh, but we were just kind of showcase within the space that we had those three uh, kaiju fighting. So uh, kind of showing what's in store within inside the comic. So and I think we achieved that. Within, uh, there's some good battles going on in that area. So yeah, a lot of fun. We had the All Hail the King, and it's number two, and it's got King Ghidorah on it, on the cover in front of a volcano. That one there, yeah. yeah. That's a, a, kind of like whenever we do covers, or at least I like to try and uh, showcase what's inside, like kind of telling you a little bit of what's going to happen inside the story. So that, that's a, a bit of a giveaway of what happens. But uh, there's a nice two-page spread that uh, Eric wrote uh, that uh, has kind of similar to the cover, but uh, a lot of fun to draw that one, so yeah. We also have the third cover for All Hell the King, and it's actually... Ghidorah is wrapping Godzilla around with all of those. Oh, yeah. Is yeah, that the third issue? Yes, the third one. Yeah, yeah, that one's fun. I can't, I'm trying to remember what is inside that story. <laughs> it's been a while since we've run it, but uh, I, I just I remember really enjoying the uh, the second arc that we did because I 
actual drawing of characters. So uh, usually the characters, uh, as you go, if you start, if you look at like the very first issue we did compared to the final one, uh, and we have one that's coming out soon, uh, the volume three. But uh, yeah, the characters kind of evolve over time. And uh, again, maybe the best analogy would be like how The Simpsons started and how they ended. Or how they're still going, actually. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, kind of like that evolution of design. So. Yeah. And the next one is number two for Rise Up. And he is just peeking out. Godzilla is just peeking out from the waters. Yeah, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people like that cover, and it's it's kind of an iconic look for uh, Godzilla to kind of have this just the eyes peering out through the water. It's quite ominous looking, but uh, you can tell what he did there. He, he doing it is uh, what he does best, blowing stuff up. <laughs> and of course, there is the cover for the trade paperback, which is also issue one, I believe, and also issue one where it is Godzilla with all of the lovely kids in front of him. That one is real. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm trying to, is that for the, uh, the new one? No, the original. The original. Very first issue. The very very first, first issue. Oh, the very first issue. Okay, yeah. yeah. We did, I think we did that. Maybe Eric might remember, too. Uh, we usually do these covers much more in advance before we actually do the drawing the issue, so... Um, again, that, that was kind of like one of the first takes on those characters. So, uh, but uh, yeah, like that turned out. And of course, Luis does an amazing job with the colors. Uh, he, he definitely makes my art look a lot better. <laughs> so, and but, we uh, have yeah, yeah. we have two internal pages that people really loved, and it's the one with Violente. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, and she is not pleased with him. That was, yeah, that's, that's the usual. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember which one that was, but I do remember like a drawing a fight scene with them. Uh, I think it was issue four. But uh, yeah, no, there, it was a, a really interesting kaiju to start with uh, in volume one using Biolante. And uh, I remember watching Godzilla as a child, and uh, I grew up with the, uh, like the 65 era of Godzilla. And, uh, yeah, it's it a lot of fun to get to drive. And one of our last images is all vertical panels. And we see, mm -hmm. I want to say, Godzilla blasting through the water is what I'm trying to describe. Or Eric can describe it in more Is it a ton of breath through the ocean? Is yeah. That the, uh, the panel? Is that that's probably for issue two, volume two, right? With Gabber? No, not that one. That's, yeah. Where is it? Is it that one? Oh, I forgot the glasses. Oh! <laughs> yeah, we're all over. I can't see. The glasses. But yeah. My last hearing and it's hard to sing, so it's a good combo. <laughs> Gorgeous. But we're going to have you come back up and be with the audience. And so first thing, did you two know each other before you guys started working together? And Eric, we'll start with you. Uh, in general, no. We started working together at, like 12 years ago now. And um, yeah. how, it, how it started was um, uh, Tom Waltz, our editor, was going to let us do a Ghostbusters book. And uh, he, he said, have you ever heard of this artist, Dan Schoenig? No, no, I don't know him. Uh, so he, he sent me some links to see Dan's art, and I mean, I wouldn't have had any choice in the matter anyway, because Tom was already sold on him, and he was the right choice. We've been uh, having fun on stuff ever since, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's that's succinct. Was that at the launch of the <laughs> yeah. IDW license of Ghostbusters? It wasn't the launch, but it was the first ongoing. Oh, okay, so. Is that the one you guys opened with, the ghost of, um, of uh, John Belushi? That's the one. Ah, oh, it's a beautiful panel. <laughs> can you hear Eric and Chris, Dan? I can hear Eric quite well. Yeah. It's a little bit harder to hear Chris, but I can hear <laughs> I think I'm further, I'm all the way at the end of the table. He has the ultimate, he's like right behind my microphone. Oh, okay. That's my hand right there. You see my hand? My hand, yeah. yeah. So, you know, Dan to cover it, Eric said you guys do not know each other. You guys do not know each other. 
Not, not before we started out with Ghostbusters. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was like 12 years ago. It so, was, yeah, uh, March of yeah, 2011. Yeah, it's very rare, I think, in this uh, in comic books to be able to work with the same creative team for such a, a long period of time. So it's very grateful because we almost got a telekinetic uh, or telepathy between each other. You know, uh, Luis can tell exactly what I want with the colors, and hopefully, I've been able to uh, illustrate Eric's uh, stories as well as he liked. But uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's okay with it. But um, yeah, no, it's. Uh, a really rare thing, and it's great to be able to kind of fold that into uh, with Godzilla with the books, because we're able to kind of just gel together really well. Yeah. How did you guys come onto this Toho project? Because it's a dream project for me. Yeah. And Dan, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Eric. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure it was just Tom reaching out and asking, or they, I believe. Uh, Toho had asked for us to work on the book, so it was very, uh, quite an honor to be able to be requested to uh, do the art. And um, yeah, I think it was just an email, and I was like, of course, why not? <laughs> <laughs> That's a no-brainer, really. It's a, it's a, an honor to get to draw Godzilla and create new characters too that kind of uh, live in that world and have a, a bit of a different take. It's aimed towards early readers, so um, it's nice to be able to. Uh, introduce um, younger kids into reading comics, and hopefully that kind of leads into just enjoying reading in general. So it's, uh, yeah, great on. So Eric, how did you get onto this project? I, Dan pretty much said the answer. He often does when he speaks first. Um, it, it was it was Tom. He uh, he reached out said they they would like you guys to do a middle grade version of Godzilla. And then he gave me a bunch of puzzle pieces and said, figure it out. And I spent the next three weeks getting it wrong and uh, being told, no, no, this isn't the way we want to do it. No, no, not this way. No, no, no. Until finally, you know, we, we came up with the, with the thing that worked, uh, which, was a, which was the framing sequence of, of uh, the main character, Cedric, just, you know, social media in to, to narrate the uh, story. But, uh, yeah, before that, it was, it was a little trickier to, to figure out, but... Uh, the notes all led to something good. Yeah, and I know it can be daunting working with a major franchise like Toho. What was it like working with Toho that we know is very protective of their characters and character design? So Dan, we'll start with you. Well, yeah, I think it's great because they know exactly what they want and exactly what how these characters kind of live and breathe. So it's the communication. It's like we've got something incorrect that maybe. Godzilla doesn't have that kind of an expression, or he's, you know, he has a very distinct way of living. So we've got to make sure that we fit within that. And uh, Toho's been was fantastic with relaying notes and saying what exactly they'd like. And, and most of the time, we thankfully, we kind of hit it on the mark without having many revisions. So that was really nice. <laughs> So Eric, your rendition, your recollection of this. <laughs> um, it, it, once, once we figured out what the rules were, it, it became a lot easier. But at the beginning, I kept running into rules that I didn't know existed. Um, you know, they, 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 have, they have very specific rules down the line, right up to and including how Godzilla would breach out of the water. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah. It, the, the scripts, uh, you know, had to, had to be tweaked for those the the unknown rules. But yeah, once uh, once about the middle of the first miniseries, we had it all figured out and uh, everything was was square and easy sense. So, what is the right way to breach out of the water? Uh, <laughs> he has to land on his belly. That's 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 the rules. Oh. <laughs> you, can't, you can't land any other way. He can't, uh, you know. He can't propel himself up and land on his feet. No, he's got a, he's got a belly flop. Like like belly flop. Like belly flop, yes. Yeah. And, uh, I think there's a lot more damage involved with that. It's, too, it's so true. It's just, I just, it's stuck in my head because I'm just like, they have a rule for this. That's amazing. I wonder how many times it's come up. <laughs> and did they give you uh, the outlines of how the battles are supposed to go as well? No. No? No, no. They, uh, everything else, I mean, there were little things like... Uh, Here's a dream sequence. Can Godzilla talk? Godzilla can't talk even in a dream sequence. Rewrite that. Um, but the but the the battles, it was all pretty much just letting Dan and Luis go nuts with carnage and, and uh, 
you know, giving them suggestions, and either they, they said, yes, this works, we like how this plays visually, we will draw it, or no, that's a terrible idea, I've got a better idea, we're going to do this, which, you know, sums up our partnership anyway. It's always a better product in the end. Yeah. And that, if, you might, if I might add, you guys did the Ghostbusters TNT book, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. in comparison, so you did a crossover book of two separate franchises. How did that compare to working with this franchise? Because um, licensing, I've, I've been told, is is a um, it's a tricky maze to navigate sometimes. It it it, it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, the the only the only weirdness with the Godzilla was again the the initial uh, putting the pieces together, which is this is the theme we want. Uh, the the protagonists have to be you know 12, 13, 14 in that age, and uh, you know here's here's all the characters, the other characters we want to put in here, make it fit. And you know, so I mean, that can that can be a while to shuffle around. But after that, when we're in a groove, when we when we know what the rules are and we get everything, the general ideas approved, it, it's, it's not it's not too hard. I mean, it's a lot of the times we will. Uh, I is not speaking for Dan. I, the, the scripts will go through with you know a couple of tweaks tweaks off the first draft, which is so lucky. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I mean, I'll take it. And to finalize on that, who do you find working, you know, gave you a little more freedom? Was it Toho or is it the com- combination of, I think at the time, did Paramount already own TMNT when you guys were working they, on They did, yeah. And you're working with Sony as well with Ghostbusters on yeah. that as well. So was there, it's, what were the noting processes on either of those like comparisons? The, the one big thing with licensing is if you're competing with something that is active, the uh, version of Godzilla that we're doing is not inactively being put into movies right now, mm-hmm. so we got a little bit more freedom. Same with Ghostbusters, they were doing stuff that was not with the uh, the original uh, four for mm-hmm. obvious reasons, and uh, so they, they let us have a lot of a leeway on that, and Ninja Turtles, it was just, um, if we were doing one of the versions that was in the TV show, there would be a lot of notes and, and stuff, it's just like, well, we're doing a, a Sasquatch story in a year and a half, so you can't do one here. In a year and a half, really, it's going to be different. Yeah, well, just to be on the safe side. <laughs> um, but but yeah, when when it didn't contradict with a, with a TV or movie, then then you know they're they're pretty open, you know, to any kind of uh, playing that we want to do. Yeah. So Dan, what was your experience working on different properties like Ghostbusters and TMNT versus someone like Toho, which is what Eric was answering for Chris? Oh, the, the difference between uh, working with the companies? Yeah, like licensing yeah. in terms of freedom of characters, how you felt drawing them, expressing them, like yeah, those that you've gotten. Yeah, the, the notes were always quite light uh, from both uh, Sony and Tor. So, um, yeah, the, both are fantastic to work with. Uh, the people that are running it, or at least overseeing the comic book portion of it, uh, really know what they're doing. So, I never really had um, any uh, hiccups or anything with that. So, but uh, yeah, they're both. Yeah, they're both uh, very open to uh, with Sony with the Ghostbusters, like Eric did mention. There wasn't really anything going on with that at the time, so we had a lot more uh, space to work with, and that also applies to Godzilla too. Uh, that version that we were doing, uh, they're very open to letting me kind of uh, maybe peppering some of my own ideas too. So, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you two feel that it was easier or more pressure to make it all ages as opposed to more, I wouldn't say adult-oriented, but aimed for older audiences? Um, like for me personally, I, I didn't really find it that much different. My, my style typically is kind of animated looking, so it kind of just easily kind of flowed right into uh, to drawing what they were looking for, because they requested it to kind of like animated looking. So, like as if it was going to be a cartoon, but uh, that's kind of how I approached it. But as the writer, <laughs> it, it was it was it was all the trick of figuring out how the how the kids would would interact directly with Godzilla, because that was you know on the, the list of puzzle pieces, how they would what they would do and how to make it not too silly. Silly, yes, but not too silly. There was there was a line, and uh, well, the kids could be as silly as we wanted to make them, Godzilla couldn't be. So there was a tiny little uh, bit of uh, tones to balance. But, you know, like I said, we, we 
once once we got it, it became super easy. And all this talk about not having a lot of notes and not having a lot of difficulty, this is not typical. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, we're, 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 I don't know, I'm speaking for Dan now, we're, we're happy to have had such a easy road. And I noticed Dan said, oh, which series or which one is that one? For those who want to introduce this to their family, what is the synop- like brief plot synopsis of the series that you guys have had? Oh, boy. Um, boy, I, 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 now, now, that I'm, now that I'm on the spot, I'm like, how, 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 do, how do I sum it all up? Um, you, yeah, you be quiet. <laughs> Show me up again, man. You sit there, I'm just waiting upstage. Um, no, the, the, uh, the kids find themselves connected to God's self. <laughs> telepathically, psychically, which is odd. You know, it's, it's, it's not a normal thing. The, the, uh, the Mothra's priestesses, they're, they're, they're uh, you know, noticing it, bring Mothra into the series, and um, it, it just goes, goes from there. They're connected to Godzilla. They can feel what he's thinking and feel that he's irritated with people. It's, it's an environmental story. That's what we were asked to do. So the the notion is the connection that they have is Godzilla is watching through the kids to see if people can get things right and uh, the next generation can start uh, healing up the planet. Otherwise, maybe he just goes through and, and, and wipes out the people and lets things start over again. That's that's the that's the crux of it. Did I get it right, Dan? Dan, yeah, how accurate yeah. is that? That was he said it, he took the word right out of my mouth. So I have to say, I, I felt a lot of uh, kinship to Godzilla <laughs> in this case when you're like irritated with people, because sometimes that happens with all of us. Uh, where did you get that idea? Because it's almost that meme that says, I feel seen. <laughs> where, where did you get that idea? It's, again, like that, that was, it, it was, that's the way that the puzzle pieces that they gave us kind of naturally fit together. Uh, environmental themes, the kids, Godzilla, and it just it, it kind of naturally fit. And that was one of the first things that uh, we got. They said, "Yes, that's right. That's perfect. Keep going down that road." So, um, you know, just a lucky connection. Did they ask you to use the uh, Exians as the bad guys, or is that your idea? No, no, I brought them in. Uh, Biolante was was definitely uh, requested for the first uh, miniseries, but everything else was was me and Dan. Um, those who want career advice, because you two basically did the dream, mm-hmm. and they were just to ask you the simple question, which is, how do I do what you do, and eventually end up with the Toho, you know, franchise and be able to work for Godzilla? As the artist, what would your advice be? I would just to, if you have a passion for drawing, just draw it. That, that would be my best advice. Even if it's just like for like uh, maybe five minutes a day on a post-it note or something like that. You know, just a little scribble. Um, but yeah, if you really love something and it's your passion, you'll find a way to make it happen. So uh, yeah, practice and work hard. And uh, a little bit of it's luck as well. <laughs> so. so Eric, from your point of view as the writer, uh, again, he's, he's right with it being luck, and it's right about uh, being in the right place at the right time with the right passion and the right experience. As far as stories goes, um, practicing stories, the key thing is just finishing. Uh, you can start the best story. If it isn't done, if it doesn't have an ending, it's, it's worthless, and nobody can gauge your ability. So finish the stories and, uh, you know, improve and, and, and get... Uh, Get a uh, reputation, be known, and that'll that'll help lead you toward the stuff you want to write. It's kind of the old adage: luck favors the prepared, right? It's true. Yes. So, Chris, do you have any questions? Oh, I got a lot of them. I got I got some stuff. Uh, first off, uh, um, the designs. How did you guys? Uh, I mean, I know Toho is very particular about you know taking liberties. I love the cart, the almost cartoonish 
And I say this in all sincerity, the cartoonish look of the book. It does feel like a Saturday morning cartoon when you read it. But there's, I'm going to talk about Mothra. You guys got away with giving Mothra like a very fluffy, fluffy look. And I've never seen that done before. And it's wild to me that Toho said yes to that. I can't speak for Dan on this. I just, the minute the image went on the Internet and I just started seeing memes about the, I will protect Fluffy Mothra. I will die for Fluffy Mothra. And it cracks me up every time. I saw one put, it's the despicable me holding the big unicorn, but they put the Mothra in there. It's so fluffy. That's all it is. As for the designs, I did my best to not look at a lot of reference. Some of it I just kind of went out and out because I, I wanted to bring something kind of new. And I, I guess we achieved that with Mantra. Everybody likes how fluffy she is. So. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, the, the designs, yeah, we were specifically asked to make it look like a, a Saturday morning cartoon, so that was the goal. And, uh, um, yeah, and the designs, the, as for Godzilla, that took a little bit of time. There was, like, I did quite a few different kind of design styles for it. Uh, more angular looking, uh, more sharp, but uh, we eventually settled on something a bit more softer, and uh, yeah, I think it works well with the other kaiju that we draw in the books as well. So, I love, I love the cross eyes. He always looks like he's just irritated by everything. Like he, <laughs> uh, it's again, it's a great throwback to the era I grew up on of uh, animation. Uh, yeah, there's a bit of that Hanna Barbera Godzilla in there too. Well, that brings me to another question. How much, how deep into this were you guys when you were handed the project? How much of, you know, there's being a fan of Godzilla, and then there's being here being a fan of Godzilla. Like, there are people that can encyclopedic uh, knowledge of everything. How deep did you guys go when you were handed this project? Like, what was your general... Um, exposure with Godzilla. Like, how, like, have you seen all the movies, or was it like, I've seen a few, I got the idea, and here's the list of characters that, you know, I know, and this is what we're going to work with? Well, uh, I, I tended to, uh, to live growing up in places that were in the middle of nowhere. So, if I saw anything Godzilla, it would be, you know, oh, hey, look, it happens to be on TV. This is good. This is, you know, I'll watch this. Um, when the when we got the book, it was just like, okay, I want to start watching as much as I can, and so much is not available. <laughs> uh, can I can I buy it? Can I stream it? No, apparently not. So I mean, it's um, it was it was just a, a refreshing the ones that I'd seen and then watching ones that I hadn't seen, and, and of course the first the first one, Biollante uh, movie wasn't available <laughs> for me to uh, for me to watch. Yeah. So, um, which which is fine because they told me they didn't want the story to be anything like the, the story in the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, no, it's I I uh, I just went back and and, uh, and dug through the the uh, the '70s one especially. Was that a similar experience on Ghostbusters? Oh no, uh, Ghost, <laughs> Ghostbusters yeah, no. was a little a little yeah. easier. <laughs> there was less movies. Oh, yeah. Well, you guys also did, like, a wonderful run that was a nice montage to Extreme Ghostbusters. Like, you guys took your own, like, uh, like stab at it without using... I mean, you pretty much only used uh, Kylie in that, right? Uh, up until the end. Up until the end, yes. Yeah. Fantastic book. Anybody, actually, if you guys ever get a chance, go read their Ghostbusters books because they are spot on. Like, if you are a Ghostbusters fan, these are books for you. They are, I love them to death. So how exposed were you to Godzilla? Uh, well, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I grew up on, uh, usually it was Sundays, Sunday mornings. There would always be like, maybe like five hours of Godzilla on TV. So most of the time I would sit there and watch as much as I could. And I loved uh, Monster Island. That was like the highlight for me when I was a kid, just because there were so many different monsters in there. And that was like my favorite part of Godzilla. So, uh, but when we started doing the comic, I purposely didn't watch any of the uh, the movies again to refresh my memory. I wanted to kind of go off what I remembered and make something new with it. So uh, I didn't want to kind of be, I guess, tainted. Was the, was the word, but with the ideas. So, but uh, yeah, I think uh, we created something kind of brand new with that. And, uh, I I do remember one story. I worked at Toys R Us 
uh, when the the uh, Godzilla movie came out in the 90s, the one with Matthew Broderick. <laughs> I didn't know if we had, didn't upset anybody. I don't know how <laughs> they're, they're not blowing you down. <laughs> but uh, I remember working there, and they were they had uh, given us the toys earlier uh, before the movie had come out, so you didn't know what Godzilla looked like. And, uh, we we kind of took a little bit of a peek. Hopefully, I don't get in trouble for saying this. This is like 30 years ago. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations uh, up. Yeah, that's no, uh, yeah, interesting how things kind of come forward. And you're across border, so I think there's no, you know, they're not going to get you. No, okay. The ninjas aren't dropping down from. Yeah. I'm always worried about the Sony. <laughs> uh, I got a question for you guys on the process of making comic books. So, when were you guys handed this license? And then, so to follow up to that, how long does it take you guys to go from script to publication? And then, what is the window in between your writing, that, writing and drawing, to when the full issues? Do you guys work as it's being published, or do you finish the whole book and then it's published? Um, we work as it's being published. Well, to a point, I write as far ahead as I can, but Dan is very fast, so it's not always as far ahead as, as I would like. But um, licensed stuff, you have to write the script in full um, and, and get uh, get everything in there. So there's there's no vagueness like the uh, the old Marvel style of writing, if anybody has heard of that. But uh, get the stuff done, get it approved, goes to Dan, he draws it. So it's I, I I was with Godzilla. I think I was about four to six weeks ahead of Dan. So uh, we were we were we, yeah wow. yeah yeah we were we were um, we were pretty tight on that one. And how how is the um, the writer artist relationship when it comes to this stuff? Like, what you're, I'm, from what I was told by people who work in the industry, the general is, you guys sit down, you hash out ideas. The artist, the writer will go write the stuff, and the artist will then take that, interpret it, and you know, the images will lay out art him. So how does how does the back and forth work with you guys? Uh, well, I, I I don't tell Dan to change anything unless it's drastic. You know, something that, that needs to be there for, for an upcoming scene or an upcoming issue. Uh, other than that, he just improves the uh, the idea of, of what I put down and sometimes inspires me with the art to write something better in the dialogue or tweak something else uh, later in the in the series and scripts I haven't written yet. Um, and hopefully, hopefully I, I, I don't uh, irritate him too much by what I ask him to draw, you know. He's smiling too widely. I don't yeah. trust this. It's those two-page spreads of, like, downtown Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, you got to draw that. <laughs> oh. but, uh, and there's yeah, lightning. The, the process is really smooth now. Like I said, we're kind of symbiotic, and um, we don't really need to communicate over there too much. But, yeah, it very good. This is something that he wants tweaked. I'll tweak it for sure. And of course, there's the license for it. Uh, Toho once and uh, altered as well. We'll definitely do that. But um, yeah, as far as the process goes, um, I think I got, I could share something here. It's nice that I'm doing this from home because I can actually just show you the art. <laughs> but um, yeah, the process, I got the script from Eric and then the, I don't know if you guys can see it. Yes, but, you um, can. can you guys see it? Yep. Can you see that? Yes, yes, before I yeah. so, yeah, these are thumbnails, so I'll start, like, I'll read Eric's story, I'll read the script, and then I'll just do these small uh, drawings and then uh, scan them in, and then I send them off to the creative team and to Toho, and then we kind of get the go-ahead, and uh, hopefully everything's good, and then I kind of do blue-line drawings of the characters, and then, uh, yeah, after that, I'll move into, I kind of... Since I, I come from an animation background before I did comic books, so my process of doing comic books is a little bit different, but um, there's an example of kind of some cleaned up characters here. But um, I'll draw usually everything kind of separate, so the backgrounds and the characters are separate. And then I'll combine that all together afterwards in Photoshop and send that to Louis to get colored. So, but um, on average, it takes me about 30 days, um, including the thumbnails and doing reference. Uh, like doing a bit of research for the uh, the issue as well, and then doing all the penciling. So I, it was really really nice of Eric to say it was fast because I kind of consider myself to be a bit slow. But <laughs> Luis is really fast. He's really quick at coloring. But uh, yeah, I, maybe I need to drink more coffee. That's maybe. <laughs>
Chris, did you have any more questions before we open up for a quick Q&A? No, I think we can go to Q&A. You know, we've got about 20 minutes. Let's get the people that want to ask questions. Whoever wants to come up. Do we have any questions? And I will also repeat so Dan can be able to hear them. Yes. We'll go with the red shirt and then cap. Yes. Okay, I got a question. I've noticed that lately the comic book industry is starting to get a bad rap, especially for artists who have to rely on Sony pages at once just to make ends meet. And in many cases they are worn out and often refuse to go to a doctor or sleep just to get by, especially with Marvel and DC. How do you feel about that industry having a negative reputation that's starting to grow? Okay. So, Dan, we'll start with you. The question basically sums up as how do you feel about the negative reputation that's starting to grow among the comics industry because a lot of writers and artists may feel overworked and underpaid. Oh, well, obviously I can't comment on anybody else's experience but my own, but I've always been tired. I don't know if that's true. I think in general, comic book work is, I think maybe not a lot of people know how much time and effort it takes to create a book. And it's always been very challenging as far as how much time goes into it. On average, I'll spend 12 hours on a day per day. So, and that is pretty much across the board for any IP that I draw. So Ghostbusters, Godzilla, Ninja Turtles. It's, part of that's my fault too because I'm my own boss in a way that I'm deciding how much time I'm going to put into this page and how much detail I'm going to put in. And, you know, Luis is screaming at me for putting in too much detail sometimes. But, yeah, I think, yeah, it's just everybody's experience is a little bit different. And, yeah, I don't I'm just, uh, I'm still waking up, I guess. Eric. First, with Dan's detail, I just want to say a uh, <clears throat> memory that, uh, that I had from a few years back that still cracks me up. I tried to give him a break. I said, okay, on this page, no background, just just one person. It's a talking head page. Just draw the guy. But he drew an entire airport with every bit of detail that you could possibly imagine. An upshot, I saw the ceiling, every tile on the wall. I'm just looking at it going, they're going to hate me. They're going to think I asked him to do this. Why, Dan? <laughs> um, but as, as, yes, uh, but 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 to your question, there's there's always room to improve in every industry, and uh, you know, hopefully hopefully things will will get better uh, with the examples that you were talking about there. Um, I don't want to go too deep into those. That's kind of it's it's not it's not it's depressing. <laughs> but there there's I mean there's there's uh, there's highs there's very low lows and uh, there's room to improve and I mean that's across the board in entertainment. Uh, it's certainly why the the actors and writers are striking in Hollywood. Similar similar uh, reasoning, just on a you know more noticeable scale for most folks. And the question for the gentleman with the cap. I was wondering if there was a moment in your writing process where you're going down like, you're never going to let me do this, and then they let you do it. It 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 has been known to happen. Sometimes I'll I'll put things in there just as, you know, something to amuse Dan or or the editors or Luis, you know, and just like okay, they're gonna they're gonna have us take this out. It's fine. It's just for a laugh when they read the script for the first time. And no, it's it's made it in. I don't want to point them out just in case they've changed their mind or didn't notice it when they were reading the scripts. And so, uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's it's. It's it's nothing. It, there's there's never anything bad. It's just always kind of just goofy nonsense that we sneak in. That's just amusing to us. That somehow makes it past everybody. Yeah. Uh, it it can and does happen, and, and I always love it when it does. We did have a question. Yes, you. Yeah. I was I was going to say with the yellow tag, but we all do. Yeah. <laughs> what am I saying? I have two questions. Uh, what are you working on right now, and what would be your next dream project? What are you working? on right now, what is your dream project? Oh, that's a good question because I think I, I'm so grateful because I've been able to check off 
so many things that as a, a kid it would have just blown my mind um, to work on. But currently, um, I have the pleasure of working with Eric and, and Luis, and we're doing uh, Ninja Turtles. And it's based on the, the cartoon, uh, the weekday cartoon. So. The cartoon from the <laughs> 80s, not the, <laughs> the original That's cartoon. Right, yeah. yeah, so yeah, the 87 cartoon. So, yeah, we kind of match that style as close as we can. And uh, yeah, previously we did G.I. Joe, and that was kind of like a similar, you know, trying to emulate the cartoon show. Is so, the Turtles book similar to the, but, to the Archie books, the, the, team, the uh, TMT Adventures? No. that I, th- I think Archie went a little bit more, just a half step more serious than we are. We're breaking the fourth wall oh. so badly. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost verbatim of the show. Like, Eric does such a fantastic job of capturing all the, capturing all the voices of the characters. So it's it's almost like a continuation of season seven, if you're familiar with the cartoon. So. Well, you're not doing the mega mutations, are you? No. Okay. <laughs> it, it, like, like Dan said, we... Oh, yeah, stuff. they went nuts. No, we're yeah. staying away from the last couple seasons. <laughs> yeah. Keeping Shredder and, and Crank, yes. right? Oh, yeah. Not yeah. more dread. No. Okay. Good. No red sky. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Matter of fact, I just turned in one with Mr. Og. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, like Dan said, we've we've really got to uh, to work all the the dream projects down the line already. I certainly have. Um, there's only one or two that I probably have resigned myself to never happen. But um, yeah, I just I mean I can't complain. It's been it's been fun story to work on after fun story to work on. I get to see Dan and Luis's art before everybody else. It's uh, it's it's just kind of a good game. How's the reception been online to, to the Godzilla book for you guys? It worked like this. When it first came out, there was a bunch of folks who didn't read the part where it was middle grade. Mm-hmm. Why is this reading like it's aimed for children? Because it is. Because it is. <laughs> so there there was a there was a few uh, upset uh, gentlemen about that. But uh, as as it came out, we started getting pictures of of kids. You know taking pictures with the book, all excited. We've got letters from kids. And that is exactly what the mission statement was, make something that, you know, ramps uh, ramps kids into the property. And the, the stuff we got, the pictures and the letters, were all just full of enthusiasm. So that's that's just, just always nice. That's it's touching. Matters, yeah. So while we still have a couple of minutes, I want to say, because Eric will be here in person to sign... Where are you going to be next at a convention if they want to bring back the same comic for them to sign? And your social media? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter under uh, Danny Shonen, so that's my full name. I think Instagram is the same, so I have those two. Uh, I don't do too much more than that, so it's pretty time-consuming to do the, the social media. I'm too busy drawing, don't have time to uh, tweet too much. But um, uh, as for conventions, I don't really have anything Coming up this year, I'm just too busy uh, drawing funny pictures to uh, break free. <laughs> well, you're working but hopefully in the new year. You're working hard so we can all enjoy. So hold on to them, and hopefully you can see yeah. Dan next year. And what are your socials? Yeah. Uh, my socials, it's well, like Dan, it's my name. Just uh, make sure to spell Eric with the K, and okay. it's it's like easy to uh, to do. There you go. So. Uh, how do we? So the children are gonna come first. He has how many? How many free comics do you have? I think I have uh, roughly forty. It was all I could find. <laughs> I didn't expect this many people. <laughs> <laughs> so after the children, how are you? How are you gonna pick? Uh, first come first, first serve. First, first come first serve. First come first serve. Yes. I, I, I do believe there's a vendor in the in the um, in the room selling. His books as well. So if you want to pick, if he runs out, you can go pick up a couple, have them signed as well. Just just before I forget, just want to throw one more story out there. In the first arc, Dan is known for Easter eggs and hiding things in the background. And in the first issue, we, we talked about an Easter egg. We said, okay, on Cedric's desk, put a little Jet Jaguar toy. And this was one of the notes that Toho came back. No, don't put that in the toy. You could use them in the series. Oh, I didn't know that. Remove that, Dan, and and now we have Jet Jaguar coming up in Summer Smash in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, that getting a Comic Con like special release too? I don't know if it's getting a special release or not. They never tell me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds about, about right. Oh, got it. That one? That's it. Yeah, that's the 
That's what's, there's the fucking monster again. Oh, now you guys are getting to see something special. Yeah, this is the original right, for the cover. So, um, kind of, it's not a few pieces of paper, but yeah, that's coming out soon, so it should be fun. He's certainly one of my favorite characters from the Toe universe, so it should be more awesome. Privilege to get to that. So, Dan, I am going to turn, hopefully don't get disconnected, I'm going to turn around, everyone's going to say thank you to you, as we have a couple minutes, sure. so we're going to go right after that. Thank you so much for stopping all the way from Can Zooming all the way from Canada. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks very much, So we have about five minutes before we need to clear out for the next panel with Ms. Shaku. So Eric, do you want to grab the comics? We're just going to stand very quickly to the side for a couple minutes and all the children can line up. And then when I call it, feel free to meet Eric outside. When do you fly out? When do you got to skedaddle out of here? I, I, I'm heading back to the airport in, in a few hours, like four or five o'clock. Four or five o'clock, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm Eric Alzheimer. Thank yeah. you so much. We are the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. We are on Facebook. Facebook. You do it, Chris. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast, Twitter at the Kaiju Kingdom, and Instagram also at the Kaiju Kingdom. Uh, if you want to get hold of us, uh, find out new episodes. Uh, that is where you can get all of our wonderful, wonderful information. And, uh, of course, if you want to listen to us, subscribe on uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you get your finer podcasts, we are on it under the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. We also have our sister show on there, Common Kaisers, that focus on a little more less Kaiju and more Tokusatsu kind of stuff. So, And uh, for that, thank you, G-Fest. Thank you for coming out again. Glad to see you guys, and we hope to see you all next year.